Ready to keep you company wherever you are. Card Blanche, the podcast, brings you immersive, hard-hitting stories anytime, anywhere, every week. Welcome to another jam-packed episode of The Whole Week Wrap with Daily Maverick and Card Blanche. Here's what's coming your way. No spark was found, but a recent lackluster report on the 2021 July riots certainly sparked controversy. There was so much research and investigation that was done, you know, after that event. So that the fact that all these years later the report actually undermines that. It actually undermines what work was done. Campus horrors as the dark underbelly of Stalin-Bosch initiation culture is exposed. But is this an isolated case? Then we head off to the Karoo to visit a tiny town with a few big surprises. And we dig into unsolved mysteries. Maybe you could help us find the missing pieces. But first, it's Sona Week and we're certain many South Africans aren't too bothered about even watching the whole affair. But with a potentially life-altering election looming, this might be the most important Sona in years. It's Monday and with us today is Daily Maverick Managing Editor Janet Hurd. Janet, how are you doing this week? Good morning, Lizanne. I'm doing fine. It's, I think we're in for a, a busy week, uh, mm-hmm. but what's new? So let's get into the first bit because I kind of want to cover this before we get into any of the more substantial topics of the past week. As we all know, a lot of people have been making predictions, you know, trying to kind of gauge what Cyril Ramaphosa might be saying during his address. But I want to focus less on what will be said and rather ask the following question. What does South Africa need to hear from President Cyril Ramaphosa during his State of the Nation address this year? I mean, I think we have this every year and bearing in mind that this year is an election year, it becomes even more relevant in terms of asking the president to stick to what we need to hear and not what they want to tell us. But I think it's going to be even more amplified this year being an election year. So I think what we need to hear is going to be even less than normal. I mean, what we need to hear... I think we've come to the stage where, I mean, how much more talking can be done to fix this country? Mm. So if the president took us into his confidence more and made us feel like he's deliberating, that he's recognized the pain and the sorrow of all the problems going on, that, you know, if we look back from last year to now, how much has actually changed? What's got worse? What's got better? Very little has got better. And I think that's just the reality. So a little bit more for the president to look at his own, almost like as a mirror to himself and look and say, like, where have I failed? I failed Mm. you here. I meant to do this, but I failed. I think the country's lost sensitivity to the promises, the sort of platitudes from politicians. We we sort of very numb to it because it doesn't matter what promises are made, especially in an election year. The change is not evident on the ground. So, mm. yeah, for me, I think we need to hear the president being a little bit more honest with the state of the country, bringing us into his confidence and actually recognizing some serious failures. Mm. But mm. obviously want to feel confident that there can be change. I definitely share your sentiments as well, because for me, I think what we need right now is to hear a definitive stance on certain issues such as crime and corruption. But we also need 
concrete, measurable plans to address those issues that we can use to measure the politicians against. And then in turn, it enables us to hold them to account, which is something that we've been preaching on this show for at least the past year as well. Exactly. And I think if if the president shows that there is a willingness to hold his cabinet, for instance, to account, what we do need to hear also, and I'm hoping we will hear, is an election date. There's a working date which no one knows where that comes from. I don't know, 22nd of May. If that is the case, then people can start planning their own lives because there is something about having a deadline to make up your choices. But I think there's a bit of an urgency there for the electorate so that they can really dive into the manifestos and dive into the choices. The ANC would probably be hoping that people don't spend too much time looking at the alternatives because, of course, the ANC is still the majority party. But I think that it would be very good for the country to have time to make considered choices. Eight days. That's all it took for the 2021 July riots to strip the South African economy of billions of rands, incur damages totaling approximately 50 billion rand and causing the deaths of at least 350 people. It's been labelled the most costly riot in the world, and yet, despite two reports released this past week on the violent unrest, we are no closer to truly understanding what sparked the proverbial flame. But the evidence before us cannot be denied. So last week, the South African Human Rights Commission and the Cultural, Religious and Linguistic Rights Commission released reports on the July 2021 riots. We were all a bit annoyed when we read the reports because astonishingly, neither provides any clarity really on what exactly went wrong. I mean, we all have our theories. In fact, the commission stated clearly that it could find no evidence that it was linked to the former president Jacob Zuma's incarceration. And this despite the SAHRC's report referring to Zuma well over a hundred times, you know, throughout this report, which was quite ironic in itself. What's your take on these reports? It's so astonishing <laughs> that that a report that took, I think, eight months of hearings, long-winded timeframes, really promising to get to the bottom of things that actually comes up with very little. After all that, we have nothing. It's more than two and a half years later where we're still sitting with the lingering effects of those July riots, which was so deadly. I mean, 350 people dying over that tiny period and estimated losses of, I think, 50 billion. And we're still recovering. We still, every time there's some sort of a serious issue in the country, we we can't help wondering now, could something be triggered again? Because it, it was such a volatile period. And there is just no way that it cannot have some link in some way to the the former president Zuma handing himself over at the last minute Mm -hmm. to avoid being arrested. It's not plausible. It's just an implausible report. There are Mm -hmm. obviously a lot of other factors, the poverty, and there could be other forces. No one's saying it's one thing in itself. But what was the climate of the country? What triggered that? Mm, Yeah, because the purpose of these reports was originally to try and identify the root cause of the July unrest, in part, obviously, to hold individuals to account, but more importantly, in my view, to help us implement strategies to ensure that this never happens again. So, I mean, how do you do that if you don't point 
to anything. It just feels to me like their investigation in a way was very superficial. I find it quite shocking that they didn't delve into the social media aspects of it. So there, there are just so many holes in this report that... I want them to do it again and do it properly. Yes, Lizanne, it was so mealy-mouthed and wishy-washy. And yet there's so much evidence that was there to connect the dots. I mean, the media played a huge role. Civic organizations played a huge role. There was so much research and investigation that was done, you know, after that event. So that the fact that all these years later, the report actually undermines that. It actually undermines what work was done at the time. Students wearing black hoods male sexual assault, first years stripped naked and vicious beatings. These are just some of the activities that allegedly took place at Stellenbosch University's oldest men's residence, Wilgenhof. We look at News24's recent investigation into a shadowy disciplinary committee calling itself Die Nachlichte and reflect on Pierre de Fosse's recent article on Daily Maverick about his own experience at the student res that's left many horrified. So we also need to reflect on the nightmarish Wilgenhoff scandal. I think many of us knew that campus initiations could be rough, but I don't think many of us could have even imagined the levels of depravity and humiliation seen at Vilgenhoff. I mean, it was so dark. Those photos were enough to give me the creeps. I know Pierre de Force wrote a truly eye-opening piece for Daily Maverick last week, where he speaks of his own experiences at Vilgenhoff during the 80s. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? Because for me, that was a fascinating read. Yes, Lausanne, that was Pierre de Force having been a resident of Olchenoch in the in the 80s, described what they called the Nachlichter, the nightlights, where people dressed in, literally dressed in black hoods would burst into one's room, order one to undress and march one to a dark room where one would be given a concoction to drink and then daubed in black paint as punishment. I mean, really? It, and it happened to him once. And that was then. And then it just seems that, yes, there have been so many inquiries. We've had so many incidents. And Stellenbosch does seem to be the flashpoint. And Pierre de Force does go into some of the history of, you know, the link to that Afrikaner nationalist ideology and that era under P.W. Boerter. And I think that that's why it's such an interesting account, because he was there and he has a very strong view of what needs to be done and trying to understand its prevalence still today. News 24's expose was just shocking that, I mean, we thought it wouldn't, couldn't be possible. Two rooms were raided by the university staff and they confiscated a host of items, including black hoods, same stuff, crude drawings depicting what appeared to be male sexual assault and photographs of initiation practices dating back 100 years. And a student raised the alarm. And if yes. it wasn't for that students who subsequently left campus, one wonders if we would even know about mm-hmm. what happened. And people who have the courage to actually do something about these things, because there's often a silence of fear around these initiation practices. Pierre DeFosse tried to sum it up, to try to explain why is it still prevalent. And his view is that there is a little bit of a lager mentality still in this country, yes. where a grouping of people sort of have turned inward and aloof. They're fighting to hold on to an exclusionary identity rooted in the traditions and practices of Afrikaner nationalism, identity that can only thrive apart from or in opposition to the broader South African identity. This is a very scary thought if this still exists. 
this type of thinking, this, let's be honest, it's got a feeling of inclusion and exclusion. Yeah. We're just part of this little secret society, the secret grouping, this small elite grouping. Um, and these are youngsters, so and which makes it even important. worse. Absolutely, Lizanne. And, and I think that what is also troubling is that there have been so many inquiries and so much said about rooting it out finally. And I think there is a, a lot of discussion about how prevalent is it at other universities? Is it something that is exclusive to Stellenbosch University? Then if so, why? And where, if there's a tolerance for it, sort of glossing over it as it's, oh, it's just growing up right, you know, the, yeah. you know, sort of a subtle thing of actually really not actually rooting it out because it's so unacceptable. We love our small towns, so whenever we get the opportunity to celebrate these hidden gems, we grab it with both hands. This week, we make our way to Stateleville, where vintage cars, ventriloquism, cross-dresses and lively cabaret evenings give visitors ample reason to stay. Then, a possible breakthrough in a decades-long mystery has us thinking about a few other unsolved mysteries that we just cannot let go of. So, on to our green shoots, and it's an interesting mix today. Let's start things off with a virtual road trip, so to speak, to state level. We visited the town last year and we fell in love with it, especially the owners of the Karoo Theatrical Hotel, Jacques Rabi and Mark Hines. You can go check out that story. It's called State Level Follies. It's on our website and our YouTube channel. But there's so much more to this charming place in the middle of the Karoo. There's a car museum, colorful characters, so much life. It's just everything that I love about small towns, you know, the dusty roads, the old buildings. And Daily Maverick also recently had a beautiful feature. What made you fall in love with State Level? These little small towns are just so fascinating. Each one, if you actually bother to go into these small towns and go to the museums and go to the surrounding areas and the little coffee shops and the little spas or shops, there's so much potential for tourism, so much potential for just encouraging South Africans to just go out of their own environment and actually go and explore a small town. So for me, that is what state level represents. And the thing about state level, as you pointed out, which the carte blanche did, the state level follies, the cross-dressers, Freddie Ferrari and Dame Lamborghini. Yes. Um, what was taken is more a different, like just the other elements of it, as you pointed out, and just the colorful nature of the characters in these towns. And mm. this, this one woman who came and just started a, a spaza shop in the area, she just fell in love with the town and started a spaza shop and it's become her town. There's music, there's art, and as in the article says, it's just lekker people. And yes. I think we just need to recognize and, and celebrate the wonderful nature of this country, the diverse people in the country. And yeah. often they're just going about doing their thing and having a good time and you know, living the best life that they can live despite all and actually making changes, doing transformation, dealing with very tricky small town issues and finding ways to just get that life that is often, let's be honest, often in the big cities it kind of can suck you dry. 
So for me, that article and that beautiful story capturing such a feeling of creativity and wonder it just ignites that feeling of wanting to travel, wanting to get on the road. So our last story is a bit left field and it's all about mysteries. We all love a good mystery. I think historians and aviation geeks such as myself, yes, I'm a huge aviation geek, set up a bit last week when it was announced that an explorer may have very possibly found the plane of Amelia Earhart. Amelia and her navigator, of course, Fred Noonan, vanished in 1937 while attempting to circumnavigate the globe. But while we wait for confirmation on whether this is in fact the plane or not, it kind of made me think about so many other mysteries still out there. And there are entire communities and Netflix series dedicated to varying mysteries of all kinds, you know. For me, it's the deep ocean. I am obsessed with it, considering we've only discovered like 9% of all sea life. I mean, if you think about it, 9%, that's like going into space when you go into the ocean. So it really makes me wonder about what else is down there, what other prehistoric life there is to discover, and what it can tell us about how the Earth was formed. But you have a far more personal one to share with us. Please tell us about the disappearance of your grandfather, journalist George Arthur Hurd. This was just mind-blowing for me. <laughs> the mysteries are, are, we all want to solve a mystery. And that's why the Amelia Earhart story has been so puzzling. And people love to pour over scenarios and possibilities and then there's a lead and then is it or isn't it and everyone can really sort of look at the science or not of it and then there's all the wild theories and that's why people love these types of stories and South Africa obviously one may you know one other one is the Helderberg plane crash which obviously still yes. includes me um, mm. but yes the personal story is my grandfather who obviously I never met was a journalist during the 30s and 40s in South Africa working for Sunday Times and various other publications um, and he literally disappeared without trace in 1945, just before the Second World War was ending. His body's never been found. He was number four on the Osava Brandfach's hit list, which was the pro-Nazi right-wing group in this country. My grandfather was a very strong anti-fascist journalist in that era of, I mean, it's so long, it was in the 1940s, you know, mm. so it's a long time ago. It's a mystery that has not been solved, even though the circumstantial pointers to the OB, we've got a lot of testimony and we've got some fantastic archive material that we're still unraveling. And it's a family mystery that we just want to solve 100%. We want complete closure. We want to know what happened, where his body went, who took him. There was a lot of accounts that he was thrown down a mine, his body was taken and thrown down a mine. But there's just never been the closure of the body or, or evidence of the body, like the plane crash evidence of Amelia Earhart's plane, which leads to so many clues can give you the closure that is needed. So that is, yeah, my personal mystery story that we are close to really closing, finally. I'm hoping that we can actually resolve that. And that's what you live on hope. So that's why when you see the Amelia Earhart mysteries, you know, some evidence, some evidence to, to this big mystery, it obviously touches me on a personal level that it's never too late. There's always a possibility that we can still see the, get the evidence to show um, about on a personal level my, my grandfather, George Hurd. Mm. 
Well, if Janet's story has piqued your interest, you can read up more about Mr. Hurd's case on Essay History Online. It's really very detailed and very interesting. And who knows, maybe someone reading that might come forward and say, I heard someone say this or that or the other and help you in putting the puzzle pieces together. Thanks so much. This has been such an enjoyable conversation as always. Thanks so much for spending time with the Carte Blanche team and I'm wishing you a wonderful week further and yeah, good luck with Sona, I guess. And that's a wrap. In case you missed any of our previous chats with Daily Maverick, you can find them all on Carte Blanche, the podcast, available on Spotify and all major podcasting platforms. Mm-hmm.